start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end of the world as we know it Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about cities, infrastructure, natural disasters, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. Hi, Megan. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Oh, pretty good. Just wondering how you think I'm going to die in Houston. Oh, I know exactly how you're going to die in Houston. So, you weren't paying attention to the road that you were told to evacuate. You didn't. Then you were trying to drive out, and the water was too deep, and then you weren't paying attention to the road or anything around you. Well, I'm in a panic. Yeah, you're in a panic, you know, because you waited too long to evacuate. Sounds like me. And then you got hit by a Texas barbecue monument that was floating in the floodwaters. Oh, that's horrible. It's horrible, but you should have evacuated. It's on you. It's fair. I don't think you're going to survive either. Yeah. I don't think you'll evacuate. I mean, you'll be too busy protecting the Fabergé egg collection of Texas, your giant cowboy hats. I mean, those are, those took me years to collect. I have to say, Houston and Calgary, Alberta are the only two places I've ever seen people non-ironically wear cowboy hats. Well, you know, you need a good cowboy hat if you're in Houston, for sure. Like, what else are you going to wear outside? Like, go hatless? (laughs) No, hatless in Houston is insanity. Also, you know, I didn't, I bought a gun. Instead of a blow-up kayak. Well, you're not going to escape well on that. <laughs> Maybe I can use it to to steal someone else's kayak. <laughs> get prepared or get a gun. <laughs> Live to die another day. <laughs> so we're talking about Houston today, obviously. Houston's the fourth largest city in the U.S., largest city in Texas. And um, it's been in the news the last few hurricane seasons because it's been hit pretty hard by natural disaster. A particular type, the hurricane flooding type. So is hurricane flooding the worst possible thing that could happen to Houston? Actually, no. Actually, no. So the worst case scenario that could happen to Houston is that storm surge from the Gulf of Mexico would go into Galveston Bay, it would take out the oil refineries, and unleash a toxic tsunami. That's horrifying. That's horrifying. Like, no kayak is going to save you from that toxic, you know, tsunami of awfulness. You're right. I've added hazmat suit to my emergency kit. I will not be taken down by this toxic tsunami. No, because in this episode, we're Texans. Nothing takes us down. Don't mess with Texas. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I believe that, actually. However, what we've seen in recent years is not toxic tsunamis. <laughs> thank goodness. Instead, we've seen Texas get hit by hurricane after hurricane and more than that by sustained rains from those hurricanes that have caused significant flooding in Houston. I think Hurricane Harvey dropped something like nine trillion gallons of nine water. Trillion. Nine trillion. Which is just like if you think about buying a gallon of milk at the store. And you think of doing that nine trillion times. That's an insane amount of liquid to come down on a city in just a couple of days. Four days, I think, is how long it took for all that to drop down. Houston has always had a history of, you know, hurricanes and terrible storms. Uh, So this is nothing new. Actually, there's a great other podcast called Hurricane Season that that talks about all the main hurricanes that have happened in Houston over the past, like, hundred years. Uh, that I highly recommend. Something's changed recently, though, hasn't it? Like, it's, we're, there used to be storms, like, every couple of years, and they, it wasn't all that bad, right? Like, it wasn't great, but it wasn't what it wasn't 9 trillion gallons of water on Houston and, you know, people's entire houses getting washed out. So I think the question we should be asking is, how did we make this worse? <laughs> so Houston's one of those cities where... When you look at cities and how natural disasters are made worse by the way we build them, you think people built a city in a really reasonable place and then they did a lot of infrastructure building without looking towards the future, without anticipating the worst case scenario. Um, 
to shove as many people as possible into a small area, and they didn't think through what the consequences of that would be. Houston is not that kind of city. Oh, no. No. Houston is a city that absolutely unequivocally (laughs) should not be there. They were like, this is swampland. This is swampland that is full of mosquitoes and gives us lots of diseases. This floods all the time. There's a lot of other land that's probably better for us to use. But, you know, no. We came here. This is where our wagon got stuck and the wheels fell off because we couldn't get out of here. So this is where we are forever. Houston is the ultimate example of how when humans decide something, they just they keep barreling on ahead. They don't look back and say, should we have reconsidered that choice? No. They say this city is so muddy, they won't let us have our capital here. It is so swampy that yellow fever is a regular occurrence. Mosquito-borne diseases are just inevitable for us. Let us build the largest city in our state right here. <laughs> so they like really leaned into the sunk, lo- sunk cost fallacy, which is this economic concept where sometimes people have just put so much into something that even though it, the reasonable thing to do is just to walk away. Just let that go. They can't because they put so much into it. That's kind of the situation, like, but like this is much, much worse than the average sunk cost fallacy because they they keep on um, compounding it. Yeah. Right. So instead of being like, okay, so we have this town and this is not great, but we'll like keep it this size and we'll invest our resources elsewhere. They're like, no, no, we're going to continue building more and more. We'll bring more people in here, more industries, and. This is going to work out for us. So what keeps Houston from being just (laughs) all water all the time, the swamp that it desires to be, is just hundreds of, I think, thousands of miles of um, man-made waterway. I think we could drive from Seattle, where we're sitting right now, to Houston, and it would be just about the same number of miles of as they have of man-made waterway around the Houston area. Because Houston was built in a flooding area, they just kind of were like, okay, so this area floods, but we can build all this infrastructure to make sure that other areas flood instead. And so that um, and so they, they, they built whenever they built um, a lot of their infrastructure, they built these reservoirs that were supposed to kind of be floodplain management regulators that in the case of a storm like Hurricane Harvey, they could open up the valves and release the water and make sure that central uh, Houston didn't flood. And so obviously these areas were areas that were never meant to have houses built on there, you know, because that would be insane. You don't want to build a house in a place that regularly gets flooded. Like nobody would do that. Only what happened there, Megan? Did they do that? I think they did. I think they did. I think they did. Turns out people like to live near water. It's pretty. And it. In a hot Texas day, it might be nice to have a breeze coming off the water. And people built their homes right up against our the man-made waterways. We should also clarify that it wasn't necessarily people. It was developers that were allowed uh, to do this. And uh, so whenever the homeowners actually bought these houses. It's important to note, though, that it wasn't people who built the houses. It was contractors that built the houses. And even though they were illegally bound to tell the people that were buying the houses that they were in flood zone areas, um, and they did, they, they did it in a um, they did it in a document that was kind of attached to another document that if you're not reading the fine 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 print, you wouldn't see that. So the majority of people who built who bought their houses in this area had no idea that they were in a flood zone, and I think that's uh, an important thing to. To know, like, regulation exists for a reason. If we're going to regularly flood this area, people should know, and you should probably not have houses there. Yeah, yeah, as inexpensive as Houston is, how inexpensive is it really when you start to think about insuring a home in a flood zone, rebuilding that home over and over again, (laughs) uh, and the replacement cost is really the physical stuff, but you really can't replace the rest of like what makes a home, including some of those like more personal belongings in it and um, just the feeling of how warm and cozy your house was when it wasn't filled with swamp water. And then you also have to live like every year in fear, being like, <laughs> will like a wave of water come crashing through my house? Will I have to rebuild this all over again? I mean, that's that's a lot of like 
anxiety to live with. Like, I have enough anxiety in my life. I can't even imagine them being like my home could be gone at any moment. At any moment. Because they could just release those valves. With all things when we talk about cities, we're talking concrete. We're talking a absolute obsession with concrete that really makes up the big percentage of all the surfaces in our cities. So we have these impervious surfaces. We're using it to create fake waterways. We're making it so that when water does fall on our city, it has nowhere to do but to run into those waterways. It's not going to, like, sop into the roadway because um, turns out when they let the roadways be able to absorb water, they just became mud-infested, like impossible to pass kind of roads. So that wasn't working for Houston. And so now we've got a city that is paved over. Water can't soak into the earth. Um, Texas soil isn't exactly that absorbent either. So even if it were falling directly into people's yards and onto like the natural dirt of Houston, there's an expectation um, from the weather that it's going to be able to kind of flood out and then recede back. Um, and Houston's there also because it has a huge port, which means that in order to bring ships in, they've gone ahead and gotten rid of a lot of the like natural jetties and sandbars that um, are not that favorable to shipping, but incredibly good at preventing storm surge from rushing across land. It was naturally a swamp, so they was able to absorb all of that rain for hundreds of years before we decided to build a city on it. And now we have 600 square miles of concrete on top of that. And so um, it's also important to note that th- that concrete also gives off a lot of heat, like urban heat island. Whenever Hurricane Harvey hit, it actually rained harder in Houston than anywhere else because uh, the heat rose and amplified the rain. It rained even harder, like I think 19% har- harder in on Houston than anywhere else is such common sense when you think about it, when you think about how much hotter a city is than um, like being out in a field because you don't have that cooling effect coming up from the ground. You have this surface that's holding on to like the sun beats down on it, it absorbs this heat and it slowly radiates it back to you. But until I really like understood the concept of an urban heat island and how that made cities so much hotter, I'd never really thought before about how concrete was kind of keeping heat like directly on the people who live there. Which is also unhealthy for them, just in general. And also for the pollution. It just makes extra heat just makes everything worse. Um, but especially hurricanes. Especially hurricanes. So basically we can the best way to think about this is that we effectively made Houston into a bathtub. So the water's just pouring in and has nowhere to go. And so that's why everything rose. We had those reservoirs. We decided – we originally built them like 20 miles out of the city because they didn't think that the city would grow as large as it did. But it turns out that we built those houses up to the reservoirs and around the reservoirs, which is the worst possible thing that we could have done to those poor people. And then you add to that just storms are getting more powerful. The climate is changing. Mm-hmm. It is hotter than it's been on average. And you have storms reacting to that, like, higher ocean temperatures and becoming more and more powerful. They're pushing out across land. And so even when we've built for the worst, um, and I think we see this in Seattle when we talk about earthquakes, and we'll see it in L.A. when we talk about wildfires, and New York when we talk about their flooding problems, you can build for the very worst with the assumption that this is only going to happen every once in a while. It's not going to last for very long because it's such a, like, it never happens kind of event. It's the worst possible scenario. And we are having worst case scenario storms over and over again. And that's what's been happening to Houston the last few years. They're having what might be considered like 100-year or 1,000-year floods every single year. And so infrastructure meant to sustain it one time is having to do it over and over again. I also want to – sometimes it's a little bit confusing for people who don't work in this field because they hear like 100-year storms or 500-year storms. And so they think like, oh, okay, so we had this happen last year. So in 500 years, we'll have this happen again. Uh, But that isn't actually necessarily what it means. Like, So for a 100-year storm, it means that there's a 1% chance every year of this storm happening. 
And so obviously in um, Houston, they've had 300-year storms in the past three years. So maybe their proportions are off. But also with climate change, it's been fa- happening a lot faster than they thought it would be. Uh, they, they think that Hurricane Harvey had 38% more rainfall in seven days um, comparative to similar stor- storms in the mid-century. And that can be directly attributed to climate change. It's incredible because I think you see after storms like Katrina and even Harvey, people stayed because they had lived through like similar sized storms before and it wasn't that bad. And the category of a hurricane doesn't tell you how much rain it's going to drop. It doesn't really tell you how much damage it's going to do because all they're really gauging is strength of the storm. How strong is the wind? How powerful? What size is this storm? But that doesn't tell you, like, how your infrastructure is going to react, how the infrastructure and the weather are going to work together to, you know, pull down more rain, provide more heat to the storm over land than it would normally have. Yeah. And also, our populations in the cities are growing so quickly. And it's still using, like, the same infrastructure that they built in, like, the 19. Like hundreds, 1910s, 1920s, like the greatest generation, basically. They built our entire country, and then the baby boomers didn't do anything to upgrade it. And we keep on moving into the cities. That's a millennial talking. I know. I, it is. Baby boomers are so annoying. They're like, we just we just took advantage. Like, oh, like we just got all this handed to us. Like, why would we have to maintain it or upgrade it or take care of anything? Like, everything's going to be fine, guys. And if it's not, we'll be dead before it, like, really impacts us. Anyway. Side note. <laughs> but, I, I mean, honestly, it is kind of impressive that our infrastructure has lasted as well and as long as it has. Like, they built it well. But not well enough for all of this, all the, the circumstances that we're now facing. And that being said, um, compared to the rest of the nation, Houston has strong infrastructure. If you look at the, like, uh, civil engineering ratings it's been given, they far surpass the national averages. Houston is ranked number two in um, city preparedness in the entire nation because they have been hit by so many hurricanes because they have experienced so many terrible things. Um, So Hurricane Rita in like 2005, it happened like a week after Hurricane Katrina. People actually did evacuate this because they saw what happened in Hurricane Katrina. So Hurricane Rita, by the time it actually hit Houston, was only like a, a category three storm. But it was 2.5 million people trying to evacuate the city in a city that had never really thought about full evacuation. And so uh, six people died in Hurricane Rita, but 107 people died in the evacuation because nobody could get out there. There were fights on on the highways. It was very hot. It was just a mess. Um, And so after that, uh, Houston was like, well, we're not having this happen again. And so they learned their lesson and they incorporated everything in. So they have they do have like decent evacuation plans. Um, you know, and I've talked to, to emergency preparedness people in Houston and they are on top of it. Like they are they all have their business continuity plans. They all have all the they have everything lined up and they have um, they have audits checks. They have um, repercussions if you don't do it correctly. And they also have like the fire marshal who, like, I guess everyone there lives in fear of because he, like, he throws down the gauntlet. And so of the cities, they are actually very well prepared and still, like, they they really struggled with Hurricane Katrina. And they wouldn't have been able to rescue as many people except they had the uh, the Cajun army. They struggled, oh, with Hurricane Harvey? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you said Katrina. Oh, yeah. I'm just asking. So many hurricanes, so many storms. I know. I'm yeah. sorry down to the, the people in the South because that's a lot of hurricanes you've been hit with. We have other things to worry about, though. So what's this Cajun Army? So the Cajun Army, I think this is a testament to why I do kind of feel like cities in Texas will always kind of be okay. Because uh, Texans do have this, like, don't mess with us mentality and also this, like, can-do mentality. So basically the Cajun Army, it's made up of people from Texas, but also a lot of the Katrina refugees. And so they were like, well, we don't want to be in New Orleans anymore, so we're going to escape to where it's safe in Houston. And then they bought houses, and then they kept on getting hit by hurricanes. But um, 
they didn't let it beat them down. They're like, okay, so we're here and, you know, I have my dog and I have my kids and I also have an air mattress. I'm going to go back and I'm going to rescue lots of people. And that's exactly what they did. Like, we don't know exactly how many people they rescued, um, but a lot. And uh, so FEMA rescued like 10,000 people. And uh, and the, uh, what is it, the, uh, the police department's dive team. Houston has a dive team. They rescued 3,000 people. And there are probably a lot more than that of people that needed to be rescued. Um, and so the Cajun Army, they were just people with um, boats or kayaks or any kind of lo- floating apparatus. And they would go and they would go find their neighbors and they would save them. Um, so they have a very, like, cohesive um, community. So it was – which I think is pretty awesome. I, I love the Cajun Army. I think that's so – Awesome. That's incredible. I love those stories about how communities pull together after a disaster because I think you see, especially in the early days of response, that people who've never done this before and never thought about it before, who aren't sad people like us who think about the worst case scenario (laughs) all the time, um, they find ways to kind of step up and help. And it's just that like deeply human spirit. But um, especially when they've been hit by it again and again, you start to organize. You start to get a sense of what's needed and how you can help. Yeah, like they all have their little kayaks. They all have their their escape plans. Um, so speaking of escape plans, all right, so let's say we're in a city. We're in Houston and we're hit by a hurricane. So, Megan, what is in your survival bag? So in Houston, my survival bag is going to be really focused on the idea that there's a lot of water around and that um, we're going to be dealing with flooding of one kind or another. So a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Again, my survival bag will never include a gun. I'm going to go with uh, lifeboats, plastic covers for my cowboy hats, uh, a poncho perhaps, uh, something to help me escape if I failed to evacuate on time. So in my emergency survival bag, I'm going to have a floating chest set because, you know, sometimes you get stuck places and you get bored. Um, I'll either have an air mattress or an inflatable kayak. Those things are, I'm sure, will help me. An axe. You just never know. Also bourbon. Well, every emergency kit should have bourbon. (laughs) That's true. Or tequila, depending on your mood. I'm just saying. Pick your disaster, pick your liquor. They should be together. That's true. So for Houston, definitely bourbon. Or would it be whiskey? I think Kentucky's where you get your bourbon. That's true. All right. Texas whiskey it is. That'll be our drink of the night. Mm-hmm. And what's our, um, our protein bar of the episode going to be? Looks like our survival food of the episode is a Cajun gumbo with boot leather, a.k.a. beef jerky. <laughs> the smokehouse beef jerky. I have to say, this doesn't sound appealing, but no emergency food sounds appealing. <laughs> I mean, beef jerky lasts for a long time. You know, it's not the worst thing to eat. It's good to have protein. Oh, and because it's water-based, maybe also hardtack. You can look up episodes, you can look up recipes from like the 1700s online. Yes, I've always wanted to live like a sailor. <laughs> I eat no citrus in the hope of getting scurvy. We all hope for scurvy. How do we survive? Um, Well, first off, listen to authorities. I know that you've survived an earthquake. Sorry. (laughs) I know that you survived a hurricane that was so much worse and that your grandma rode out a Category 12, not a real type of hurricane, (laughs) storm when she was only six years old and only had like a rag doll and one like candy bar to hold her over. And so you can too. But storms are getting worse. We don't know how our infrastructure is going to react. There are cities there. There are people there. It's less mobile or becomes more dependent on others to support them. That changes the risk you have from an actual storm. And so no amount of past experience is going to dictate what the next event is going to be like. So if authorities say, get out of here, get out of there. Yeah, like I think that this is a thing that we'll keep on coming back to. I think we'll probably mention it every episode because I think it's so important. Uh, people have an inflated sense of their understanding of situations. It's the whole Malcolm Gladwell like blink concept. Like, oh, like I just instantly can figure that. Like, I, I have this feeling. I have this gut feeling, and um, 
and that's that your gut feeling for some things is true, and that's based on experiences that you've had like a million times over. So if you're in traffic and you drive the same way every single day, you might have a gut feeling that this road is better, and you might be right because you've done this so many times before. But unless you literally go through like have gone through like forty hurricanes, yeah, unless just it's like a hurricane this, the day every day, you probably don't have the the data information in your mind to make a gut decision. So listen to your brain. And by brain, I mean, listen to the authorities because they don't, if they tell you to evacuate, if they tell you to do something, they don't make that decision like lightly because it's a huge undertaking. They know it's going to cause lots of problems. So they don't, they're not going to say to tell, they're not going to tell you to evacuate unless you need to evacuate because it's always kind of a worst case scenario. Um, Actually, they did not tell people to evacuate Hurricane Harvey because probably what happened with Hurricane Rita and because they knew they wouldn't be able to get 3 million people out of the city in time. Yeah, and I can say, like, as a professional emergency manager, evacuation is a huge amount of work. It's logistically extremely challenging, Um, but so is rescuing people after an event. And Every decision being made by emergency management agencies leading up to a known event like a hurricane is based on trying to reduce the possibility of loss of life, reduce the possibility of loss of property, reduce the impact to the environment that this is going to have. And so it's not just like they like to get people out of the way because wouldn't it be nice to not have to rescue people? Um, like, yes, it would be great to not have to rescue people, but they're only doing that if, like, it seems that logistically it is more likely that they're going to have to rescue thousands of people than that they're going to have to evacuate millions. And it also adds so much havoc and panic to the situation. So it's definitely, like, a worst-case scenario situation if they're trying to evacuate you. Um, That being said... uh, because evacuation is so difficult because you're on highways and, you know, you're in cars and those aren't very high, sometimes the best way to evacuate is up instead of out. And so if you live in a tall building, just maybe go to the top of the building. Like those buildings were built to withstand flooding. Uh, So you'll probably be fine. Um, If you're only in a two-story house, I mean, I would try to find somewhere that has taller, like more stories if possible maybe the best option. But that's uh, going back to my survival kit. That's why I have an axe. So let's say you get to like a four-story building and somehow, some way, it gets up to like that story, which that would be so devastating. If you have an axe, you can get yourself out. Like you won't be trapped. You can, you can like, you know, somehow hack your way to the roof and, and wait out there um, for somebody to hopefully come rescue you. Yep. Um, if you're trying to shelter in place when you're in a like flooding situation like this, you need to, like you said, go up to higher stories. But think about what you have um, on that first floor of your house. Like what can be moved up to higher shelves? What is irreplaceable and needs to come with you or be stored elsewhere? Hurricanes do not come without warning. Um you know, this is not the earthquake scenario. It's not a fast-moving wildfire. You have, you know a hurricane is coming. And so making duplicates, storing things in waterproof containers, um, ensuring that those really precious items are stored somewhere where they're less likely to be damaged, not just like don't leave all your photo albums like sitting on the floor um, <laughs> of the living room by the front door in a low-lying area, but maybe don't have them across from, like, windows that are easily breakable or, uh, you know, check for possible leaks in the roof. And, you know, if you see brown stains spreading, don't, like, set up your precious origami collection underneath it. <laughs> I just imagine, like, just, like, taking, like, all of those, like, little floaties and, like, taping it to all of your photos and so, like, your photos would just keep on floating everywhere in the water. Just keep it around year-round. You're like, well, you know, like, nothing here, like, will ever sink because it's all on floaties. Is your cat wearing a life vest? Well, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know it floods here? <laughs> but it's not even raining. But it could <laughs> any minute now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, if you go to evacuate, um, you know, Try not to become a part of the problem. So don't do things like 
slam your car into a utility pole or hit pedestrians or uh, refuse to follow traffic law because it will get you out of there faster because all you end up with is car accidents and gridlock and um, like Megan said, people getting killed in the process of evacuating. And also, if you're driving and you see a body of water and it looks like a little puddle, don't drive through it. That's how you sink your entire car. And because if you don't know how deep the water is, it could be like one of those like movies where you're like, oh, it's a little puddle. And then just everything that happens. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Driving through standing water is never a good idea. There are water rescues every single day. Every time the waters get high, happen. They're like in a. They're in. A, they're on top of a of a tree, just like waiting. They're like, it's it's fine, guys. It's fine. Don't worry about. It. Also, your for your house, protecting your house. So your garage door is the weak link to your house, and everybody's like, oh, I you know I protected my windows. I did all these things, and that's awesome. You should be doing that. But your garage door, protect that. Reinforce it. Better yet, like get a really heavy one because if your garage door blows out, your roof goes off. And then you have a whole new set of problems. <laughs> like maybe you can get out of the house at that point. Like you want to worry about getting trapped, but also you don't have a roof and you're in a hurricane. <laughs> so you're saying it's all well and good that I boarded up all my windows, but my weak aluminum garage door is not going to just hold on its own? I know. You would think so, you know, because it's an aluminum door that opens every day in little pieces like it's in like five little panels like how could that ever fail you um also bourbon or whiskey you're gonna need it it's gonna be a rough night or rough couple of days i mean i always think emergency kits should have something enjoyable in them this should not just be you eating disgusting gumbo full of beef jerky and drinking canned water and crying in the dark while you wait for somebody to rescue you. Like, life during an emergency, life after an emergency is still life. You should plan to have some of those, like, creature comforts. So for Megan and I, it's going to be whiskey. But also things like playing cards and... Waterproof playing cards. <laughs> waterproof playing cards these poor people just playing chess and sitting in the water floating <laughs> floating chess sets maybe it's like glow in the dark if you don't have any a, a power um i feel like i should clarify here that you should never ever enter flood water flood water is disgusting oh. flood water is full of sewage flood water takes if you wouldn't drink water that ran across your neighbor's car and down the sidewalk and through a bunch of dog poop and then pour it into a glass and take a sip, don't go wandering through it. Yeah, so try to stay out if you can. However, and also there are like downed um, elect electrical lines. That's a real problem, you know, that can electrocute an entire street of people. Um, that actually did happen. Not here, not in the United States, elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, Yeah. So try to stay out of the out of the water, but if you must, like you never know, you might have to like you know go through it. Wear pants, wear real shoes. Don't let your feet get cut up. Um, and I know this from personal experience from my flash flood days. Whenever I was in Beijing, you, <laughs> I would go and I would go buy loaves of bread, and I would dump out the bread and I would take the plastic bags and I'd wrap them. I I wear them like shoes. Like I'd wear the plastic bags like shoes. Um, and then I would get, like, more plastic bags. And I basically made, like, plastic bag pants. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was also the middle of summer, and I was wearing shorts. So I was like, if I, if I step into the septic water, like, I will die. So I made my little plastic bag pants, and everyone laughed at me. But it was worth it. I didn't die. See, if I was talking to Seattleites, I'd say, well, obviously you own a pair of rain pants, but I'm talking to Texans, so I don't know what they obviously own other than dozens and dozens of cowboy hats, right? And probably also some sort of barbecue-making situation. They own a barbecue situation? Like like a barbecue grill. Okay. I thought you meant there was like a specific outfit you wore when barbecuing there in might Texas. Be. And I was all about it. I mean, I think now that we've said that, we have to figure out what it is and also get it and wear it. Um, Perfect. If anyone listens to this podcast other than poor Jordan, our sound guy, yeah. um, they can tell us all about Houston barbecue fashion. Houston, we need information on what to wear to barbecue. 
and how to look awesome while doing it. Okay. So I survived the storm. Mm -hmm. What can I do to make these storms less? How can I make it so that next time it happens, it's a little bit better for me? Okay, like this is the fun part. This is these are this is the prepping, prepping, prepping prepsters because we're prepping people. I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> I needed a better title than prepping, prepping, prepping. Like George's, like don't cut it out, and I agree. because <laughs> um, I I thought I'd come come something witty before this, but I didn't. Nope, prepping, prepping, yeah. prepping, 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 prepping. Um, so first of all, a waterproof radio. That you tape floaties to. Oh, my God. Don't tape floaties to anything. It's not going to help at all. (laughs) Megan is leading you wildly astray. I mean, they're Texans. I think they can figure it out. Like, if anybody can, like, bootstrap this and finagle it somehow, I'm sure they could. Like, you know, or we can just watch MacGyver. I'm sure MacGyver's done it. (laughs) I love MacGyver. That was my favorite show growing up. Was it? It was MacGyver and then Batman. What were your favorite shows? Uh, growing up, Full House, mostly. Mm. Sorry, I was only allowed to watch wholesome things. I was only allowed to watch MacGyver whenever my babysitter was there. Actually, my favorite show was Power Rangers, but it was banned in my house because my parents believed it would lead my brother and I to quote-unquote kick each other, <laughs> which oh, it did. That makes sense. I mean, they <laughs> actually, it was funny. I, I watched it when I was little, and then um, a few years ago, my mom was making me – she didn't like the dress that I was going to wear for a wedding, so she made me, like, change – the dress that I was going to wear. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. And I walked out, and she was like, you look like a Power Ranger. You look like the you, the yellow Power Ranger. And I was like, so I shouldn't get this dress? And she's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> like, okay, this is weird. Anyway. Um, prepping, prepping, prepping. Prepping, prepping, prepping. So radio, pr- waterproof radio is number one. It's key. Because it's your communication to the world. It's you can listen to the authorities. Um, you know, if you watch any kind of horror, like, you know, apocalypse movie, it's always the radio that tells people where to go, you know, to find the remaining survivors. I don't think it's going to be that kind of situation, but still, waterproof radio is your friend. And that, I should know, it should be battery powered or even better, one of those hand crank radios. Um, Because the less dependency you can have on batteries, on plugging things in on having to have created a like full prepper's basement to be able to survive the better this is true um hand crank so water retention basins uh this is optimal however it's also probably it's something to really plan for so i don't know if you can really it's hard to do after your house is built yeah i'd say like if a hurricane knocked down your house and you get to build it up again build it in a flood smart kind of way. Um, I'm going to say for people who live in cities everywhere, like less concrete, fewer lawns even, like actual yards that can absorb water and drain it away from your home, um, bring it back down to the groundwater so that we're not just filling up our like sewage system and um, wastewater system with our rainwater, but it can actually be absorbed into the land the way it's supposed to be so that it can serve us for future generations. Probably for like the cistern. Um, if you were to do it, you'd build it on a small hill and then you would have like a little um, like a cistern underneath. Though the best option for most people will be some sort of uh, floodproofing your yard if you have one. Um, and we're seeing a lot of um, this kind of, it's called like biomimicry where basically we are trying to get cities and build infrastructure to mimic plants. And if you look at all of the really great old architecture that's lasted for like hundreds or thousands of years, like the Roman architecture or even um, like it, the old like uh, like Chinese architecture, what, what differentiates that from our architecture is that it was built to absorb water. Like it, it would be like, you know, stone stone slabs but there'd be spaces in between and the water could get in there and um and so whenever you're doing this for a yard you can just pick plants that have deep roots instead of you know having like pavements and like a like a, a driveway just use crushed gravel it's actually cheaper to buy anyway so that's kind of optimal and then the water can just go through and then um i mean this is kind of a little bit more on like the uh intensive uh, well, flood proofing thing, but you can also create a natural bog. 
which uh, kind of is like a it's like a little baby swamp, basically. Mm, what everybody wants in mosquito. Everybody territory. wants a baby swamp, um, and you can you can put like plants in there with deep roots to kind of absorb a lot of it, so it won't be like too swampy. Um, but also, you know, if you have kids, that's a good way to add an element of like fear and excitement into their lives. They could be sucked into the bog at any time. Yeah, you could tell them it's quicksand. Be like, don't go there, you know, and just like, you know, the kids need stimulation, right? So that's... yes, I parent just on lies and fear. <laughs> I'm gonna be a great mom one day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then get a great garage door, as we said before. Um, yeah, don't live in a floodplain area if you can avoid it. Floodplain maps are available publicly. You just have to use Google. When you go to buy a house, know what the floodplain is. Know what your risk is because you may not look into it, but your insurance company will. Yeah. (laughs) And your rates will be reflective of it. So ensure that you know what kind of risks you face where you live. Yeah. So the house might be like a great deal, but if it's a great deal, there's probably a reason why. Um, it's because they know you're going to have to rebuild it like five times. And whenever the contractor is trying to sell it to you, don't necessarily believe that them when they say it's all going to be fine. Because that's it's not in their best interest to tell you if it's not going to be fine. Now, if we're taking the really long view, if we're talking about, you know, making big, big changes to make this better, um, and I'm not just saying you know, replace all the surfaces in your city with something (laughs) permeable. Um, Climate change is just going to continue to make this worse. And taking action as a society to (laughs) kind of slow down the impact we're having on the climate is not just like good for ensuring that we have fewer floods in Houston, but it's good for ensuring we have food to eat in the future and clean air to breathe and the ability to live anywhere south of, like, Portland, Oregon. So um, if you are a climate change doubter, if you know climate change doubters, I would just say there's, like, no shame in having clean air. So let's just, like, err on the side of caution and go for it. Yeah, so, you know, find those climate change people that don't believe in it and try to change their mind. And you don't have to call it climate change. You know, because they might be like, oh, climate change, no, no, no. And it's like they have like this like visceral reaction, like that can't be true. But if you say, oh, it appears that the climate might be changing because of just it just it, it just is. It is what it is. It's getting hotter. I don't know why. And you don't actually mention that. It, you can, There's ways that you can um, make this argument to people without – making it this whole political thing. You could just be like, well, historically it was like this, but it's getting this way for the past three years, you know, just logically, like a logical inference is that it'll continue happening. So you can make this argument in a way that's not um, too too crazy political. Yeah, and maybe climate change just needs a rebranding that mm-hmm. like, like on Parks and Rec when they rebrand the fluoride water is sparkle water and everybody wants to have it. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. Yeah. We'll just have to find a cool new term for things are getting worse. Please stop wasting so many natural resources. Oh, that's actually – what should we – we should we need to think about this. Yeah, we can think about it for a T-shirt later. Apocalypse, apocalypse now. Apocalypse now. We can rebrand it as Apocalypse Now. I think that's actually already a thing. Yeah, they probably have that branded. Yeah. (laughs) Apocalypse Soon? (laughs) That's so noncommittal. Apocalypse one of these days. Soonish? In the nearest future? Oh, Um. man. (laughs) Um. But that's – we're talking, like, big societal change there, yeah. and that's kind of a shift from, like, prepping, 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 which is stuff you can do, to, like, how can we make it better? Yes. So whenever we're going to how can we make it better, we can actually still touch into this a little bit because um, – so the thing about ta- about Texas is that they really like low taxes and they like small government. I think the governor's – like slogan was don't california my texas i mean i don't even know what aspect of that he's referring to i'm guessing climate change and taxes i mean california has some high taxes 
They really do. They, they also really have a do. lot of services. They have a lot of services, and they still don't have enough money for all their infrastructure. No. California, we're coming for you. Next episode. Yeah, we're going to talk about your fixed property tax issues. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, governor of Texas, Greg Abbott. Um, it's easy to say, like, don't California my Texas whenever you're not actually paying for the damage that's being inflicted, which is the case of what's happening because the cost of Harvey was $81 billion. And people there are dependent on flood insurance, federal flood insurance. And so basically this is like subsidized floodplain development because the fact is if people didn't know that there would be any insurance for them at all, and if they rebuilt their whole house and they could lose it all over again, they probably wouldn't make that option because there's like some cost fallacy and then there's just dumb, you know? And so people are like, well, this is going to happen again next year. But if they say, oh, well, my house flooded, but they gave us money and next year when this happens again, they'll give us money again, then all of a sudden it's the U.S. taxpayers that continually pay to fix the houses in Houston. So as an American taxpayer, you should be pretty annoyed by this. Like, the inefficient policies of Houston are something you're directly paying for. This is one of those places, though, um, and this is true of all disasters, where the optics and logic are just, like, wildly at odds with each other. Because, obviously, when a big disaster happens and it affects real people and it destroys real homes Mm -hmm. and it kills real businesses for the federal government to say – no, you shouldn't have built there in the first place. That was a bad idea. You're on your own, Houston, would just be a lot of heartless fools without jobs come next election. Um, But when it comes to actually preparing for these disasters, the knowledge that FEMA disaster funds will be there, the Mm -hmm. knowledge that these like um, insurance programs are going to be there that are subsidized by the government prevents people from necessarily thinking through the consequences of those actions. And that is happening in every state in this country, not just Texas, where people don't invest accurately in their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They don't th- think through what the actual impacts will be if a big disaster comes through because they know to an extent they have this federal safety net. Yeah. And let me be clear. I wasn't saying that we should be like, oh, too bad, Houston. I'm not saying that at all. Of course, we need to help them. But I'm saying that we shouldn't be giving people money to re- to fix up their houses. We should be saying, OK, here's this money that we but you can't rebuild that house like you had to. You know, we we're going to figure something else out. We're going to, um, you know, densify because a big part of Houston's problem is that it is so large. And so it's almost impossible to protect all of these people because there's the floodplain area is just so enormous. And so densification is actually a very good strategy. And here's where here's the bright side of low regulation in Texas is that in most cities and in most areas, there's a lot of zoning codes um, for how you can densify areas and urbanification because people don't necessarily like that. In Texas, there's not any of that. There's some regulation of that, obviously, but not nearly as much. So this is a key opportunity long term for them to say, okay, like we're going to take advantage of this lack of regulation and densify and move everyone in and, you know, be able to protect ourselves a little bit better because we'll be able to invest more money into housing situations um, that house more people that have uh, more safety and flood um, adequacies? Preparedness preparedness measures? measures. Um, When in doubt, use the term preparedness measures. That's like an emergency management motto. (laughs) Um, It's not that Texas isn't doing anything about this. They definitely, like, the Army Corps of Engineers has presented a really big, Mm -hmm. gigantic plan for building more managed waterways, increasing the number of levees, upgrading the dams that protect these reservoirs. Um, I'm not sure. I know the Army Corps, like, 
They are the Army Corps of Engineers. They build their way out of problems. And, and they are very good at it. They are incredible at it. And um, the Army Corps just started seeking billions of dollars of, in funding to be able to do these projects. And they're getting pushback from people who think they need to be building out more of the natural bayou, um, putting in these jetties and sandbars that used to protect the area naturally, and that even some of the things that they're recommending would wipe out like the current oyster industry, which is kind of major to the area. And um, to people like me who are obsessed with oysters. What would we do? If we rush ahead with what seems like the best possible option, widening our waterways, making it so that it doesn't flood all the time, um, we are making the same mistakes we've always made when we built cities. We're trying to fix the immediate right now problem because we don't want it to be the way it's been without really thinking through what the long term like weather's going to be like, how the city's going to grow. Like, we are, we know better now. And when you know better, you're supposed to do better. But so often humans say, I know better now, and it won't work that way again because I don't want it to, and just do the exact same thing. You're like, it's never, it's never worked before, but I think it's going to work this time. Uh, We're just flying on faith. <laughs> it's going to be great, guys. I think that there's – whenever we say long-term, we're not talking about five years, ten years. Remember that the infrastructure that we're using today was built about 100 years ago. So we did think, like, what is the city going to look like in 100 years? Like, what new technology will be created? What will the environment be? Like, we're thinking 100 years out. We're not thinking just our kids, but our kids' kids and their kids. So it is important that we kind of think, like, what's what's adaptable? And the thing about our infrastructure is that everything is built up to a certain grade, right? So you have a seawall that can, you know, protect up to, um, you know, hurricane like level five. You know, we have um, an earthquake seismic protection that can go up to like eight. But what if it's more than that? And we keep on seeing that these storms and everything keep on escalating. What has usually been effective is nature. Nature is really good at this really good at adapting. It's like what it does. It does it very well. So we should maybe invest more in that. And so um, thinking of like the people who deal with this the most, I I always think of the Dutch who are, <laughs> they, they've been dealing with flooding issues forever. They're, they're famous for their canals, canals and the dikes. Dikes, okay, all right. and um, all their water infrastructure. I mean, we all heard that story of like the little boy who like stuck his thumb in the wall and kept it, kept the dam from like breaking. Yes. Well, Again, I insist that story was not based on fact. We don't know that it wasn't based on fact. <laughs> Megan I mean, is a yeah. It turns out I'm a real like little boy puts his finger in the dam truther, and <laughs> I don't sure. think it actually happened. We have to, like, find out the truth of this. We need to, like, call some people. Um, so what they have done is they've um, they've decided to, rather than trying to defeat the water, <laughs> they've adapting to the water. So uh, they have a strategy that's called, like, room for the river, which is basically just being like, okay, so we're going to build our city in ways that we're going to assume that there will be flooding and we're going to assume that it'll come this way. And we're going to account for it by, you know, having wetlands or having like um, like holding pools and reservoirs that can be filled in with excess water. And they, they also make sure that, you know, so they have the fortification to keep the water out, but they they really connect it. They make it more holistic. So they connect it with like the social welfare and they also get neighborhoods to make their own improvements and kind of have people uh, take a lot of accountability and responsibility within their area for this. Yeah. Um, and so they also they also stack up their housing. Um, so they stack their housing up instead of out because, um, once again, it's easier to protect. Um, I mean, that's just the basic. Yeah, that's the castle and moat strategy. If you put all of your assets, like, in the most fortified place, or to use a less medieval analogy. No, I like the medieval analogy. <laughs> I actually, as you were saying it, I was thinking... 
I wish I'd used it. I wish I would have thought of that. But to use a less medieval analogy, I would say that's um, it's even what we do with cybersecurity. We take the most like precious piece of data and bring it as far away from the entrance as possible so that it's like layers and layers that people have to get through before they get there. Everything we needed to know we learned in medieval times. Yeah. Um, Have you ever been to medieval medieval times? I've been to the Vegas version that's in um, the Excalibur. Uh, The Las Vegas version. I've been to the one in, in, like, Southern California, but I've also been to the ones in North Carolina. I've been to a couple of them. I love medieval times. Megan's obsession with traveling the nation to go to the same <laughs> restaurant over and over again. No, but it just it just randomly happened. I swear. Well, once in Chicago, I love whenever Merlin shows up halfway through. <laughs> okay, so they so, stack their housing. Yes, and um, so also yes, yeah, so they stack their housing. Um, they have um, I believe that's called a cistern. A cistern is in fact what it is called. Megan, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they they've also you know just changed like taken down some of their bridges and just allowed for um, water to kind of flow back and forth more so there's so there's less infrastructure that's blocking it which can cause you know flooding in other areas so it's just they kind of let it even out a little bit and they they build their canals so that their canals can actually flood more um so they just basically you're like okay floods gonna floods are going to happen like let's just Make sure that it does as minimal damage as possible. And there's China. And China is working on building sponge cities. Uh, and so that's basically a lot of the things that we just talked about um, for biomimicry, which is, you know, your rain gardens, your wetlands, your green rooftops, your permeable pavements. And this is also really great because China doesn't have a lot of water at all. So this allows them to capture that water and hopefully clean it. Uh, and so these are all things that we could apply to Houston. Um and hopefully they they will. Well, the people of Houston, like, you don't want your homes to continue flooding. You've already built them in, let's just admit, the worst possible place to build a city. TM. <laughs> I'm going to make a T-shirt. <laughs> These are the kind of ideas you need to be bringing to your elected officials. These are the kind of things you have to be asking for. Because if no one is asking for them... We're going to continue to do things the way we've always done them because it's what we know to do. It's what we've built. Building out what you've already built always sounds like it's going to be less expensive and easier than like bringing in some totally new idea. But um, we're repeatedly paying for the mistakes of the past. And I don't just mean like, oh, we made a mistake and it was awful. I mean, it's costing us billions of dollars. And so investing now is how we prevent future generations from spending those billions of dollars and they're going to be the ones paying the bonds anyway so we might as well make some good decisions for them exactly um and also the emotional tool of having to rebuild your house every year everyone's going to have like post-traumatic stress disorder you know everyone's going to be so anxious all the time for hurricane season and hurricane season keeps on getting longer and longer and rougher and rougher I think I understand, too, because people are like, well, I just want my home. I just want things to get back to normal. And I think that it's kind of hard to accept that, like, this is the new normal. And that, like, you know, your home might be your home for, like, another two months before it's destroyed again by another earthquake. But maybe making some other changes would mean that you would save money, but you'd also save the emotional toll and you could build your home in a place that's not constantly going to get destroyed. Yeah. So usually we talk a lot about what to put in your personal preparedness kit and how to get ready to ride out whatever natural disaster. And absolutely the people of Houston need to do that. But also like you guys need to ask for better infrastructure, for an infrastructure that takes into account what your city used to be, which is a swamp, a natural wetland for taking in flooding, and that can Build an infrastructure that allows it to continue to serve in that way while continuing to serve the millions of people who live there as well. Yeah. For, for a lot of natural disasters, there's not too much preventative things you can do, right? But in this one, I mean, there are always things you can do, but um, you, I mean, you can't like stop an earthquake from happening. You can't, um, you know, stop a tsunami from happening. But in this case, you can actually, like, this could actually be fixed because. Flooding has been happening there for years, but it didn't actually cause this kind of damage. And if you if you go back 
to how to, to just taking those natural systems. It's cheaper. It's easier. Um, it's just better overall. So you you could actually make this. You could not entirely fix the problem, but you could maybe get it to like eighty percent better just by annoying your policymakers. So um, yeah, that's Houston. Houston, send us pictures about your barbecue outfits. Yeah, we need your barbecue fashion advice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to know how to dress when we get down there. Well, I'll have cowboy boots. I'll be wearing those. And I'll be wearing one of my 600 hats. Can I borrow one? Oh, they're pretty precious to me. <laughs>